Well, good morning, Otis. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm glad to have you back here with us after your excellent message this past weekend. Well, thank you for having me. It's always great to be here. Yeah, enjoy having you here. And uh, and we should just maybe say at the front, you're still trying to get over this uh, bronchitis, pneumonia, you poor yeah, what, guy. Whatever this is, it just will not let go. Yeah. So well, Two out of three uh, Sunday or services this past weekend sound like your voice held up. You know, little, little cough hiccups every once in a while, but uh, yeah. hopefully we can get through this conversation without too much <laughs> vocal distress on your part. It will be okay. I made it through Sunday. I can make it through today. Yeah. Then I'll go in my office and cough for a while. It'll be okay. <laughs> Well, I do appreciate you uh, always when you preach, but uh, especially you had a couple of challenges besides getting over this uh, illness. Um, You had the interesting challenge of preaching and combining the acknowledgement of both Father's Day and Juneteenth in a message that fit into our Masterpiece series, and I thought you did a masterful job of that, Uh, so well done that way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I kept trying to figure out, how do you talk about both these holidays at the same time? Like, they're so... It seems so different, but they really are connected by the two women who drove to get them to where they are today. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, and I appreciate you said that. So if people didn't get a chance to hear the message yet, you started off by recounting the stories of two women, the two women that were responsible for Father's Day and for Juneteenth becoming national holidays yeah. and uh, and demonstrating how they were women who were on a mission and uh, which became the the theme of the message going yeah. forward about being on mission. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they were interesting stories. They were stories I wasn't familiar with, so I appreciated you sharing those. Yeah, Sonora and Opal are pretty amazing women, and I really only got a chance to talk about the tip of the iceberg of what they did in their lives. They are, they are real deal leaders. They are amazing women. They did some amazing things in their lives, so it's pretty cool. Mm. Were they stories you were prior familiar with, or was this part of your research and investigating the mission behind some of these holidays? So Opal Lee, I was familiar with. I knew about her her walk to um, from Fort Worth to Washington D.C. Being a Texas kid, you kind of you kind of get those Texas stories. Sure. Um, and I'm, Juneteenth was much more popular in Texas before oh yeah. it was across the nation. Correct. Yeah, it was a. It's been a big deal in Texas. Um, I think the first celebration started about five years after um, the actual writing in of Gordon Granger. And so they've been celebrating since then. I mean, it's a really big deal in Texas for communities all over Texas. And so we celebrated it all the time. Um, For Sonora uh, and Father's Day, that was new to me. I was just trying to figure out how Father's Day started. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really interesting to dig into it because there are all sorts of little small things in other denominations where they celebrate fathers and, and other types, but she was really about making this a national holiday because of the relationship she had with her dad. And it was pretty amazing to read about her story too. She's she's another amazing woman. I'm surprised there's not an autobiography about her. Mm-hmm. So Oh, that was sweet. I had no idea that Father's Day didn't happen at the same time Mother's Day did. Nope. I thought those would have been things. And happy Father's Day to you, by the Thank way. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So you started off telling these stories because these were women who were on mission to mm-hmm. accomplish something, and uh, and but that 
also God is a family in the picture of the Trinity. We have the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and they are a family who is all about mission yeah. to come into the world and to invite uh, invite us into the the heavenly family mm -hmm. as well. And so your message drove us to consider what that's like to be a family on mission. And I know that's a topic that you're very passionate about. Yeah, I love the idea of family on mission. I think we've done missions in the past has been really a great thing. Like we've driven people out in the world and the gospel's been spread, but we've lost this idea that the whole family should be doing it together, right? Mm. I mean, that was the image from the beginning. He sent families out, right? It, we hear about people like Abraham on his own, right? We, But his whole family went. Mm -hmm. And we lose that idea that the whole family has an experience in that moment. And we really should return to the idea that this is about family. Every mm -hmm. family has a mission. You want to speak a little bit to that about some of the dreams you have for families yeah. here being on mission? Yeah. So we're, we're starting that soon. We're, we're developing a family mission trip. Actually, we leave with some families in July to go to Honduras to start our development of what it looks like for families to be able to go and serve together from uh, the smallest kid to the oldest adult in the family. Um, we're also shaping things for the unconventional family, for our singles who don't have a husband or a wife, but they have best friends and they have people who are close. That's your family, right? Mm. We want to create a space for them to serve with their family so that they grow together and um, they find the ways to connect the way God wants us to be as, as the family of God. It's such an, it's such a beautiful image of what the, what the gospel is about. Right? Mm, I appreciate that you brought that out. I feel sensitive to uh, to people who are single in the church when they're sitting and hearing messages about family. And obviously, Christianity is very pro-family, but that doesn't mean that it's anti-single. And right. some of the greatest leaders in Scripture were also single, and it's a, not only a valid lifestyle, but even one that is lauded as an opportunity to be more dedicated to Christ than those of us that have divided loyalties with, uh, with our family. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that out. Yeah, I mean, Jesus was single, right? His entire ministry, he was single, right? And we seem to over overthink that, right? Jesus is special, but he was a single man mm. living the life as the leader of his unique family. It mm -hmm. was, it's an amazing revelation to, to think about Jesus serving as the surrogate parent for his disciples and the people who he, were, he was with. He really was the leader of that group. And he he represents the skill sets and the gifts that our singles have. They can be single-mindedly focused on something. Mm -hmm. It's such a beautiful thing for us to do. Well, and Jesus not only modeled it literally as a single person, but he also demonstrated from the passage that you brought out in Mark chapter 3, I believe it was, about <clears throat> while he, he was obviously very devoted to his mother and, and uh, his brothers come into play at different parts in the New Testament, uh, but he also was establishing that principle that as believers, we are brothers and sisters, we are a family together, even if those bonds are greater than biological mm -hmm. bonds. Yeah, I w that's, a, that's a powerful story. And I think I didn't really appreciate it until I started digging into this message about how much that would have sent shockwaves to the people who were sitting in that space and listening to him, much less his mother and his brothers who were outside mm -hmm. and the disciples who had been walking with him that sort of felt like he was just their teacher, but he was teaching them to do something. He was going to be the king and they were going to be his, his royal court, but it was more than that for them. And just that redefining of what family is for and what it's about and who's in it is such a powerful image for us as we go out and people are attracted to the kingdom. It's such a, 
such an amazing thing for us to think about. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated the point that you made that God didn't design us for autonomy. He designed us for community. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, it it unlocked something for me that I hadn't really fully seen before. In this Masterpiece series, our theme verse is Ephesians 2.10, but we've been using the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul describes what it means to walk worthy of the calling Mm -hmm. that we've received, um, that it's impossible to do that alone. That those verses require us to be living in community. Yeah, yeah those are those are powerful things. And I, I always used to read that verse as, this is what I have to do by myself, right? That's ingrained in us. Mm. But what Paul is talking about, you, you can't do the peace part. You can't do the unity part mm-hmm. by yourself. You have to have people who you are close enough to call family to actually pull that off. Mm-hmm. So, so talk about more about that because that seems to add a beautiful color to this discussion of, um, in order to be part of God's family, in order to be spiritually mature and walking things out and in doing the good works that we are created to do, we need to embrace this idea of of, of family in our church. That's not necessarily biological family, but our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, I had a lot of conversations after the uh, service was over with with people who um, either didn't get married until later in life or people who are, are still single. And like their, their joy in hearing a message about them being included in the family was, was such a powerful moment for me because I, I don't know that we actually think through those things um, the way that we should. Family is the pinnacle of what God created us to be, right? Mm-hmm. From the beginning, mm-hmm. the only thing that He said was not good was for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And we take that verse too to think that it's talking about marriage, but it's talking about community. Mm-hmm. It really is about us being a family from the beginning. It is not good for us to be alone. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a story that helps us grow towards what God is doing in our lives and what God wants us to do. And I think we we really need to rethink that idea of what family looks like. Um, Because like I said, kingdom families look funny. They're different. (laughs) They're really different things. Look at the Bible. It's full of these weird amalgamations of family and movements of groups together that that create the beautiful masterpiece that God is doing in our Mm. lives. So what would you say to someone who says, well, I, I long for that, but I'm not sure that I have found that, that kind of community, that that uh, that idyllic picture that we're painting of what it means to to feel like the church is your family? What what would you say to encourage someone who's maybe in that place? Yeah, I would I would say that we have we have next steps for you right there. That's what small groups are for. That's the beginning for us. It's the step into to family. I would say find a small group. And I know sometimes that's difficult. And and Anna and I, my wife and I, we talk about that a lot. It's really difficult for single people to step into a space where it feels like you're walking into family life, mm-hmm. right? But that is that is the place where you'll be family, right? And for those of us that are in what we would call a nuclear family, I think it's more for us to, to step outside of that and for people who aren't in those conventional spaces to invite them into our homes, right? Them into our lives. When we go on walks, don't just call them and check and say, ask them to go with you. So they're always there. So you're doing mission together on family. And it's, it takes a step for you to do that. The same step that it took you to say yes to Jesus is the same step you're going to have to take to be part of the family. Mm. You've got to step into it and be willing to open yourself up in love and peace and look for the unity of what family brings. 
I appreciate your plug for small groups there. Love small groups. And uh, small groups, uh, we've got all kinds of new groups that are going to be opening this fall. And, and there's great opportunities for anyone who might be interested in starting their own group. Yeah. I would love to talk to anyone who's interested in launching a group because we're going to have a, a whole new series coming up this fall that I'm just tremendously excited about. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll put another plug in. Our small group is amazing. I was feeling a bit anxious about preaching the sermon because of the cough and not feeling well. And we have a text group with the guys that are in the group. And when I texted, they all prayed for me. They mm. showed up on Sunday and they prayed with me. Um, you couldn't feel more loved in that moment for people to stop whatever it is that they're doing in their busy day to take a moment to pray for you and text you and tell you it's going to be okay. And um, that's what that. we want for everyone. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they are... They are the people who we turn to when things get really difficult in our lives. And, and our small group is is really a family of people who've gotten together that when you look at us, are, you wouldn't imagine that we would all be as close as we are. So it is that. <laughs> It is that family of the kingdom that, that we talked about. That's fantastic. Yeah. And if, if someone hasn't yet experienced that, I'd love for them to give it a try. And, and sometimes it takes a couple of groups to find mm-hmm. the one that's the right fit. It doesn't always just happen automatically. So uh, so yeah. don't be discouraged. Keep trying because yep. uh, family's it's out, out there. there. It's out there. <laughs> Uh, well, let's pivot a little bit to the idea of being a family on mission. I uh, now, and in this case, you were speaking a little bit more about what it looks like as a nuclear family to be engaging in the mission of of mm-hmm. inviting more people into the family of God. Correct? Yes. Um, and so you you kind of walked through being a, either having loyalties to family or mission, to family and mission, and then ultimately to being a family on mission. Yeah, those three things, I think, are are the best ways for us to begin to think about how we engage in mission. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I talked about the nuclear family, but it works outside of that, too. If your family is your group of friends, it's the same thing. Mm. Right? There, there are a bunch of things that would distract you and make you have to try to balance your time leaning into the things that God calls us to do, even if you're single. But but this idea of of how we get into what God is calling us to do as masterpieces, as as his to do his handiwork, um, to work with him in the kingdom is important for us to make this distinction. Um, I I get the pleasure of talking to many, many missionaries, not just here, but in other places. And most of the reason people come off the field is because they're in one of these two healthy un- unhealthy places mm. and they they the family part of it falls apart mm-hmm. and they have to come off the field because they're so focused on mission that they forget that God also created them to be a family and that that takes work it takes it takes some intense time for you to pour into your family and have your family pour into you mm-hmm. um, and so that's why we talk about the or not working and the and doesn't work because it just it's just exhausting to uh-huh. try to do both and that's why why we see our volunteer cultures fall apart in the church because mm-hmm. they choose one or the other and they just it just just can't do it they feel the weight of both and and they're focused on how to do and balance both instead of living what God wants us to do mm-hmm. which is the joy of being on mission and just having people in your life on a constant basis um, the other thing I really appreciate about your concept of being a family on mission is it. I think it takes to the next level what Caleb and I had been talking about last week about the idea that good works are not this separate category of special sacred works, and then there's other works that we do that are more secular, but rather that good works apply in, in all spheres of our lives. Yeah. And, uh, and so when you're a family on mission, you're not needing to separate, like, this is something that I'm doing specifically in 
purpose of trying to share my faith or to model what I know about Jesus, um, but it's rather just an approach to all of life. Yeah, it really is. And I think we design things. I'm going to do a shameless plug here for ARC18. It's why we design <laughs> ARC18 the way that we do. People are like, what should we do? I'm like, just show up and talk to people, right? Be with people. And it seems awkward. And so some of the questions that were asked were things like, well, how do I share the gospel in those moments? I'm like, I didn't know. We're, we're not asking you to. Just the good work in that moment is to sit with someone and be with somebody, mm-hmm. right? And that's that feels weird for people whose thought is we've got to bring people into the family. And the way to do that is to share the gospel and tell them about Jesus. The way to do that is to be part of their life. And they come to the moment where they want to talk about Jesus. And so there really isn't a distinction between the quote unquote inside the church or biblical good works and the good things that we do in the community. It is just that God created us for all of those things. And it's such such an important thing for us to understand. Mm. So one of the things you brought out was Paul's um, Paul's encouragement for people to imitate him as he imitates mm-hmm. Christ, um, and then it seems like this is another one of those opportunities when we're when we're approaching life as a family on mission and just every aspect of my life is an opportunity to engage with my family, with my community, in the way that I'm attempting to demonstrate Jesus in my life. Um, that we can look to the examples that we see in the Bible as a way to do that. Yeah, Paul is Paul for me is a is a great example of how to lead, right? We talk about how amazing of a leader he is, but um, in those moments where he thinks about the people that he's brought into their life with Jesus, it's not about him. It's not about his station. It's not about his his authority in that moment. It is about them looking at him as he looks at Jesus, right? And in the nuclear family, we do that with, with our kids, right? I want Maddie to be an individual who can take care of herself, but I want her when she sees me to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as as strong-willed and autonomous as she is, <laughs> sometimes I wonder whether she's seeing me being me. Like, I, I don't want her to be Otis. I want mm. her to be a follower of Jesus who sees Jesus and everything that she should do. And And I think we lose that, too, sometimes as parents and as people who mentor people. We want them to replicate us. It is this whole idea that we sort of talk about um, when we we think through recreating examples of ourselves. Um, there's a there's a whole another conversation that we should have about missional nepotism. We won't go into that right now, but <laughs> there is this idea that um, that Paul distinctly shows as a leader. I don't need to be present. I've taught you what you need to do. I'm going to live that life, so there's no question about it. When you see me, you see that, and and even more than that. I'm going to send somebody else who I trust that will teach you that way. It doesn't have to be me because we're all family. It is it is an immense gift for me to be able to hand Maddie off to to Rick and Heather or Alan and Alan and just trust that in those moments she's going to see God in all of those places. Mm-hmm. So That's lovely. Um, what would you say, though, to the person that says, oh, boy, I just don't feel adequate for that? Mm-hmm. Like the, the idea of of the responsibility that it is to demonstrate Jesus and and for someone to imitate me just feels like too high a bar. Yeah, I I feel that too. I think we all do. I think when we get into that moment where we're like, oh, they're looking at me to see Jesus, we wonder if we're good enough to do that. But I think our... our, Spoiler alert, we're probably not. (laughs) I was going to say, I think our our verse for this year, first for this season... Um, for this series is about that, right? We are a masterpiece. It doesn't mean that we're perfect or we're finished, 
Um, it means that we're working towards something. And as the, as the person who created us is shaping us and driving us to be closer to him, we become better examples of him. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect now. Mm-hmm. But everybody has a story to tell. And everybody has a way to reflect Jesus wherever you are in your walk with him. And I think we should stop taking the pressure off ourselves to be that perfect, finished masterpiece. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. And God is going to use those mistakes to show people how to be closer to him because the way we respond when we make them is what's important. And I'm happy that we don't send Maddie around perfect people because then she'd come home and point out all my faults and that's what I hate to do. So. Well, maybe ultimately being a masterpiece might be a piece of work, but yes. more a piece of work by the master. That's right. Uh, that that image of being a masterpiece for me, uh, I am a lover of Monet, right? And so when you think about Monet's picture, each brush stroke is an individual dash on the canvas that makes this beautiful picture. Mm. And and he was fond of saying that each one of those brushstrokes were not perfect, they were flawed, right? And the color wasn't just right. And it wasn't this this perfect image of what it is that I'm trying to paint, but collectively those things make this beautiful image that gives me the perfect vision of whatever is happening in nature or in life. And I think that's really what we're talking about in this series. We are masterpieces but we are not the masterpiece alone. Mm-hmm. And family is the way that the masterpiece is displayed. It is is so important for us to understand that this is not an individual race. This is not an individual work. We are a team. We mm-hmm. are a family. Collectively, we Collectively. are beautiful together as we're designed to do good works. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I really appreciate the aspect that you brought out in that, that this isn't something that we can do alone. This has to happen in community. Um, I thought before we close, can you just flesh out a little bit more Mm -hmm. about the statement that you ended with? You said it all started with a family on mission and it's advanced through family on mission. Can you give a little more context for that? I was in a learning session and um, the leader said this statement and then he just stopped and walked off the stage. And he left us sitting there thinking about this moment. And I kept thinking, this this is this is. This is the unpacking of what it means to be family on mission, right? So in the beginning, there was this family, and it was all about mission. It was God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all thinking about the mission that they were going to drive into each and every one of our lives. And the only way that that mission continues is now through each one of us as both individual masterpieces and as a collective family. There is no way the gospel moves forward unless our family does it. And we have to get to the point where we stop thinking about our own individual ideas of what we should be doing and think about how we do this collectively. I think for me, as we engage in community, I think about the fact that for a long time, the church has equipped people to go do things and then make them think that they have to do it alone. So I'm the only person who's going to go evangelize in my school with my students. I'm the only person that's going to go evangelize (laughs) in my workplace. I'm the only person that's going to do that. But that responsibility is not yours alone. You should never feel alone because somewhere in that space is your brother and sister. Mm -hmm. If not, then somebody in your church, somewhere in your church is your brother and sister that will engage in that with you. And the family moves the gospel forward. Um, And it all started with a family that was looking to love us the way that we should love others. It's such an amazing image. It's on the wall in my house. It's it's in a bunch of places Mm. because I think when I think about ministry, I think about driving people to this place where the family is who does this. Mm. 
Lovely. It adds a, another dimension to the idea of being fruitful and multiplying as uh, yes. we're not just thinking in the terms of a nuclear family there, That's but right. in the family of God as well. Yep. It is an amazing picture of how we live into that, whatever state we are, wherever we are in our walk with Jesus, wherever we are in our relationship life. It is about being fruitful and multiplying as the family, because as we sin, God created this family with the sole purpose of inviting more people to the family. Hmm. Well, Otis, I sure appreciate you coming in this morning to talk a little bit more about this message. I hope now you can go give your voice a rest. (laughs) Well, I would like to. I'm about to go talk to a bunch of missionaries, so it'll be a great day. But thank you for having me. It's such a great time being here. 